is it better off to have someone than to be in this space of uncertainty that I, what if I never find anyone? You know, like what if, what if I'm alone forever? What if the guy that gives me the passion and, you know, loves me and we adore each other, what if that never comes? And so then I'd start the stories, which, which aren't fact. Maybe it's better to just be in a mediocre relationship than a phenomenal one. But that's not the truth. None of that is the truth. It was just fear. It was all fear. Hi guys, and welcome back to the Rage Active Podcast. We're bringing you insightful conversations to help you live an active and inspired life. So make sure you hit subscribe so that you get the latest episodes as soon as they are released. I'm your host, Rachel Jay, and I'm so excited to welcome my guest to the show today. She is a health coach, writer, speaker, and mentor. She's also the creator of the Gratitude Gang and the Health Hub. Welcome to the show, Ange Simpson. Thanks for having me, Rach. It's nice to be here. It's nice to be able to see your face on a podcast podcast too. Not that everyone I know, can do, but we can. <laughs> yeah, it's nice to connect and I think like I mean, I feel like where you are, you've you've got it pretty easy actually. In Melbourne we're still locked down, but um we have it really easy here. I actually I had moments of guilt, but then I'm like, no, you know what? If I was in Melbourne, I'd hope that everyone was out enjoying their life while they can because you just don't exactly. know what tomorrow will bring, right? Exactly, exactly. So it's like live life. I'm glad that you've got some freedom. So, you know, I think you're just going to live it up for the rest of us, <laughs> really. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. We will love you for it. So I'm really excited because you've been doing your work and being you've been in this space for a really long time. And this is the first time that we get to actually sit down and chat about it, which is great. And you've got this really cool philosophy around wellness without deprivation, which is a really nice concept. So I'm really curious to know, where does that come from? What does that mean? How did that kind of come about? Yeah. Look, do you know, it came about for me because when I was trying to get healthy, um, the only things that I could find online, and this was 10 years ago, so obviously it's very different now, but everything I found online was about cutting out food groups, um, you know, only eating for a certain amount of time, um, you know, taking away all the things that bring you joy. I love sweets and treats and I like going out and having pasta and pizza every now and then. And I, I really just, I would try these things and then I would fall so hard off the wagon of wellness that I was just like, I can't do this. I'm just, I'm going to be unhealthy. And I did it because I had a a health condition, I had migraines. And so I was trying to cure myself naturally through them. Um, And what I found was a couple of things. First and foremost, it's what you do most of the time, not what you do, you know, sometimes that really makes a difference. And so I realized, okay, if I'm most of the time doing a good job around food and organic and all of the things, that's great. Um, But more than anything, I realized that the stress and the, um, the rules around food were actually causing my body more damage because I would be stressed about it. And stress is one of the the major causes of disease in the body anyway. And so I thought to myself, you know what, if I feel like having something that's not on my list of, you know, clean foods every now and then, I would rather do that and feel the joy and really just savor that moment and really love that food over stressing myself out, feeling like I'm going to the kitchen 20 times to find the healthy alternative. Um, And I I believe I'm a 
pretty healthy person now. And so I think that people can have a really good balance around wellness without completely depriving themselves of all of the things that bring them joy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I really like that approach too, because it's almost like, you know, you want it to be doable and and livable and achievable and sustainable, right? So, you know, I think depriving yourself is one sure way to, I guess, do it for a short period of time, but at some point you're going to want to have your, you know, your little treats and stuff like that. Totally. And if you have like a really, you know, a really serious health condition, or obviously if you're celiac or something, then you're not going to eat the foods that don't make you feel good. Um, But for, you know, for everything else, just enjoy life. Just enjoy it. A little bit of indulgence is nice, really nice. <laughs> so when you started the Gratitude Project, um, you've obviously, you went through your whole health journey, your own health journey. What were the biggest lessons you learned that really inform your approach to health and wellness, aside from wellness without deprivation, that really inform yeah. your approach to health and wellness now? Yeah. Look, I think the biggest things I learned around food and wellness was definitely Um, you know, eat as little as possible from a package, like try and make as much as you can from whole foods, as close to nature, eat organic as much as you possibly can. Um, Clean filtered water was definitely one of the things that I didn't even realize. Um, I was just drinking tap water. And actually when I changed to filtering my water, it did make a big difference. But then on the wellness side as well, I realized that it's not, yeah, it's not so much what we eat, Um, but how we feel about the foods that we're eating, how we feel after we eat, how our digestion is, um, and our mindset, because you can be eating kale and drinking celery juice all you want, but if you're going home and you're hating your job, or if you have low self-esteem and body image issues, they're kind of more important than the food. Um, Because, yeah, kale's not going to cure a bad mindset. No, you're right. You're so right. And I think that's the thing too where the piece to wellness is that it doesn't just incorporate, I guess, what we're ingesting in our bodies or the food that we're intaking, but it's everything else that we're also putting into our minds as well, right? It's so important to have that kind of holistic view, I guess. Um, Now, obviously, gratitude is is a big part of your philosophy, obviously, in your life and through your work. And... I think that this period of time, especially COVID, has been quite difficult for a lot of people and a lot of people have been struggling and and having, I guess, more like mental health is some of those things that are coming up for a lot of people too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what would you sort of say to someone who has been dealing with a lot of difficulty or struggles during this period of time? Mm -hmm. How could they even, you know, begin to be grateful? Because I think sometimes when you are experiencing those hard moments, it's really hard to shift to to gratitude, right? When you're in it. Yeah. And anyone Mm. would be like, this girl's been in a week of lockdown and we've been in like (laughs) months and months and months. So I can't really talk from experience, but, you know, we're all going to go through hard times in our life. And I know that one thing that is true is no matter how healthy you are, how good your mindset is, how wealthy you are, you're always going to encounter challenges. There's always going to be hard times in your life. Um, And so building up mental resilience is really important, you know, now whenever you can. Um, It's better to do it before stuff happens, but if that's not possible, then now there's no better time to start than now. And I think the biggest thing that I have been saying to any of my clients or any of my friends there is you really just need to focus on what you can control. Um, Because we can get really angry. We can get angry at how everything's being handled. We can get angry at lockdowns. We can get angry at, you know, protests, all the things, whatever we want to get mad about. Um, 
but we're putting so much focus into what we can't control. And I, I think imagine if that energy that you spend being frustrated with all the things outside of you and that you you have no say over. Imagine if you put all that energy into growing yourself or working on your health or building your own little business or whatever it may be. Imagine if that energy was just redirected into something good, how you would feel. And so I think it's important to be informed on world events and what's going on, but you know, you need to monitor your consumption. We don't watch the news here. Um, we don't, you know, look at anything on social media that could, um, you know, kind of throw us off or anything like that. Like there are obviously cases here every now and then um, and we like to stay informed. But more than that, we're focused on what do we need to do? How do we need to take care of ourselves? And if you can do that and start with the smallest things, like just waking up in the morning and, you know, this morning I was on my walk and there's a guy that um, he's homeless. We don't have many homeless people on the Gold Coast and he plays the guitar. And when I'm walking on my own, I, I always go and buy him a little Woolies gift card and like help him out. And I thought to myself, you know what, if you're in lockdown and you're in a home where you are not being, where you're not going hungry, you're not being abused, um, you know, you're not fearing for your life or your safety, then that is a really good starting point for just like, crap, I've got it so good right now because I know yeah. there are so many people who aren't going through, who are going through really challenging times on top of COVID, you know, they're, they're struggling a lot and it's not because they're struggling, your struggles aren't as bad, but just saying, you know what, I'm really grateful that I'm safe. You know what, I'm so grateful that I've got a comfortable bed. I've got a roof over my head. I'm so grateful for home delivery. I'm grateful for what I have and just focusing on that first because if all you focus on is what you don't have, you kind of energetically attract more of that in any way and then you're not going to feel very good. Yeah. It's a great way to think about it in terms of, I mean, you know, here in Australia, I feel like, I know obviously we've had some of the harshest lockdowns, but, you know, really our country is such an affluent country and we've got, you know, so many luxuries, I think, that a lot of people around the world don't have. So it is a really great perspective to, to take, especially if you are, I know it's difficult when you're going through it, when you're in the thick of it, it's hard, but just to try and shift just a simple little step of shifting that focus. What are your other top gratitude practices that you can suggest to people? How can people practice gratitude aside from shifting their yeah. mindset? Yeah, and I feel like this is one of those things where people are like, oh, I just say what I'm grateful for and then I'm meant to feel good. But it's kind of, I feel like there's a couple of different ways you can do it. Um, it's actually tomorrow, it's Thankful Thursday, which is every week in my calendar. <laughs> there's a little reminder that comes up that it's Thankful Thursday. And I actually... I'm very visual. So I go back over my last week in my calendar and I send out like a couple of messages to people who have helped me or supported me or have done something that I'm grateful for um, because I think that spreading it is a really good way to kind of attract more gratitude in. Um, So having a little thankful Thursday, it takes 10 minutes. It's really simple. Um, Another thing. I love that. That's so cool. Yeah, I really like it. I I just, it's always nice. And I like receiving those messages because words are my love language. Um, (laughs) So giving them is really easy for me. I'm like, yes, tell everyone how much you love them. Um, And then another thing is just um, having a bit of a trigger where something that you do triggers you to be grateful for something. So to give you an example, because that was an awful description, um, whenever I get into my car, I. Um, sit down in my car, I put my seatbelt on, I plug my phone in, put it on its little thing, like do all the bits and pieces. 
Um, and I always sit and my family must think I'm nuts because every time I get in the car, I sit there for like a minute and just breathe. And <laughs> I have gratitude for how my body feels. Um, and I do this because I went through a stage where I didn't feel very safe in my body. I have a heart condition and there were times when um, you know, my heart would be going crazy and I'd feel out of control and it would trigger, you know, trauma from being in hospital and all these things. And so I really love the fact that every single day, and it's it's really helped me to work through that trauma, but every single day that I get into my car, which is pretty much every day, um, I sit and I feel safe in my body and I feel into what feels really good and where, where I'm, ha- like, where I'm grateful for. And I, like, to give you, like, a really... Um, easy way to understand this. If you ever have a sore throat and you're like, I wish I had appreciated when my throat wasn't sore and you're like coughing and you're like, I just, I wish I didn't have a sore throat. I don't know if anyone else does this or if I'm just a weirdo. But yeah, no, I do too. It's (laughs) like whenever you're sick or you have something that that you don't normally have and you're like, oh, It, I, that was really helpful to not have a sore throat and I took it for granted. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So they're kind of my two favorites. Yeah, I like those. That tr- uh, having a little trigger, so something almost like a creating a habit, right? So you yeah. add gratitude into a habit that you do just daily or something that's yeah, in your like normal routine. Like brushing your teeth or like yeah. when you go to bed or something. Yeah. Yeah, I really love that. Now, you have been very open and uh, public about your split with your ex, now ex-husband. And well, I think, firstly, I think it's so amazing that you've been able to speak about it publicly because I think that, you know, talking about relationships and specifically relationship breakups, it can be a very vulnerable time and, you know, being able to talk about it, I think helps a lot of people too. So I'm I'm really grateful for that. And I'm, I'm really interested to know because you refer to your split or your breakup more as an uncoupling rather than a breakup or even a divorce. Yeah. So can you share a little bit about that with me? Yeah. And look, we are, we are now divorced as of about a year ago. We actually are officially divorced. So I do use that word. Um, we were just like when we were discussing it and when we were going through all of it, we really didn't want to use the word breakup because it felt like nothing's broken and it felt like break to me felt like a really negative word. And I'm very big on the energetics of the language that we use. So we were like, okay, what's a word? And it's really like, it's really lame. The whole conscious uncoupling thing. We were like, come on. Like, <laughs> when and Paltrow did that thing and they like, I know. And it's, I'm like, we're not conscious uncoupling. Like I'm not saying that. Although my ex says that he always says conscious uncoupling. And I'm like, you sound like a loser. Stop it. Um, <laughs> But we decided on the word uncouple because we were like, I didn't want to put negativity negativity into something that was actually a really beautiful experience for us. Um, and we had discussions around, you know, I said to him, you know, what are you happy for me to share online? What are you sharing online? Because we both had online profiles. And um, he was like, you know what, I really want for us to be able to look back and say we were a really positive example of how this can be done well because there's not many positive examples of that. There's a lot of people who obviously break up and then they hate their ex and then they post all these like, you know, they post quotes that are like messages and like to their ex, like this is what you should have done. And it's like in our minds and especially, you know, we were together for 13 years. I'm like, I grew up with this. Like I was like, I think I was just about to turn 17 when we first got together. I'm like, I got with you. Like I've been through the biggest life milestones. You are always going to be a massive part of my life. And I will never disrespect what we had because Mm. it didn't 
last for 50 years, like society tells us that we should, like he's still, we still call each other. Like he's my best buddy. I'm his best buddy. It's really like people are like, what do you mean? But I'm like, (laughs) we talk every couple of days. We're raising kids together. Like we just, you know, we made a decision that our marriage was, it was over. It wasn't the end of our lives. It wasn't the end of our friendship. It was just, you know what, we, we've changed as people, you know, who I was as a 17 year old girl is very different to who I was as a 30 year old woman going, what do we want in a relationship? So yeah, we kind of, the short answer is yes. We chose the word uncomfortable. But we just, we wanted to really show people that it can be done well, if possible. Yeah. 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 I really love that. And, and you're right, there isn't very many examples of it in the public space anyway or in public narrative around this. And this is why, you know, conversations about it is so important so that people can see that it's possible to do. Uh, and, you know, like a lot of women, most women I would imagine have experienced some sort of breakup or, you know, uh, split with a significant or long-term partner. And especially if you're in your 30s, we would imagine something like that has happened. I'm curious to know what the process was like for you because oftentimes, especially when it's with someone who you've been with for a long time, it's not something that just happens overnight, right? There's this this process of the decision-making and all of that kind of stuff around it. So what was sort of going on for you? How, how What did that process look like for you guys? <laughs> it was long. <laughs> it was really yeah. long. Um, <laughs> you know, like the actual discussion before we like made the decision probably happened about a year before where it was kind of like, are we, you know, like I know we're good and we're friends, but are we like, is this what we want? And it was a lot, like it was hours of discussions. I will never forget the first ever discussion. I was laying on the couch, he was sitting on the couch and I was like, I feel like we need to talk about our relationship a little bit more. Um, We are very blessed because we had both done a lot of personal development Um, we both really respect each other. And I just want to put in this little disclaimer that it's not possible for it to be like this for everyone. Um, And I'm happy to give tips on what you can do to help encourage that process. But, you know, I've seen very closely a lot of relationships where the other side just isn't willing to let go of their story about the breakup. They're not willing to get along they're not willing to see the person for who they are but instead they see them for the story of what they did or who they were like you know it's not going to be like this for everyone you kind of again you focus on what you can control and I'm very 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 blessed that you know Hugh was just on board with I I want to do this really amicably and um I think it's because we were both we both were done like we both knew it was over it wasn't like there was no cheating there was no abuse you know he lived like we lived in the same house until probably like two or three months before I met my current partner so literally like we were still having dinner together every night like living in each other's pockets, like we knew what each other were doing. Like it was really, um, it's a really unique situation. So I want to make sure people don't think that this is like, or you don't compare. Like how come my breakup wasn't like that? Um, a lot of conversations, a lot of talk, like at the kitchen bench, just check-ins with each other. How are you feeling? And, um, you know, we did work with um, a couple of people like coaches, relationship coaches, things like that, just to make sure that we were making the right decision. Um, but we actually didn't tell any family or friends. 
I didn't tell my parents. I didn't tell any of my friends. I didn't tell anyone until we had made the decision as a couple. And we did this for several reasons. We didn't want influence from people who benefited from our relationship being together. Um, So obviously your friends want you to stay together because they're like, well, you're our friends and we want you to stay together, Mm. you know, and parents can have an emotional um, you know, an emotional response to something like this that can maybe stop them from thinking logically. And so we've said, you know, we're not going to tell anyone until we really know. Um, and we only spoke to professionals about it. And then we ultimately made the decision and it was really like, it's so messed up because I like, I'm like, it's so corny, but we like made the decision and we hugged and we cried and we were just like, I love you, but I'm not in love with you. And we want the best for each other. And there is still, and over the last, you know, two and a half years that we have been no longer married, I'm like, there are still moments where I'm like, you're so annoying and I want to like hit you in the face. Like we still <laughs> fight sometimes. Mm. We thought when we were married, we fight now. Um, but all in all, we always come back to, if we have a fight, there's always, you know, one of us will always come back and be the first to say, I'm sorry, or we'll say, you know, I acted wrong. And it's, we're still in a relationship because we're parenting kids. Um, So communication, the short answer to that is communication. Communication. And I think too, I think you both sound like you're very self-aware and emotionally mature. Because like you said, I, I agree that, yes, this this may not be the case for everyone. I mean, if you're listening, um, you know, you, it's possible for you to have a, a split like this, um, but also it may not be possible depending on you and your partner. Yeah. And, you know, one thing I really love that you said there was that you decided to not discuss it with friends or anyone outside prior to you guys deciding internally what was going to happen. And setting those boundaries, I think, around the relationship is really healthy. I know for me, because I've, I've been through a very similar experience to you where my ex and I split very similarly, very amicably, and we did the whole thing. And I think a lot of people find that strange. I don't know if that was for you, that you don't talk to your friends about your relationship, but you see uh, a professional who can actually infuse some, I guess, have some input into the decision around your relationship rather than just kind of perspectives, I suppose. So I'm curious to know, was that something that you decided consciously we're not going to tell people and we're just going to keep it between ourselves and let's just sort it out between us. Yeah. Yeah. We literally sat and we looked around and there was one friend that I spoke to who is in a great relationship. Like I looked at people around us and I said, you know, like most people are in pretty good relationships, but you know, you've got your friends who are like, you know, they make comments like, oh, it's his birthday. I'm going to have to have sex with him or something like that. And I'm like, that's not a relationship I want. Like, I would be like, do I want to be in their relationship? Like, would I want a relationship like that? There was one friend who I was like, actually, yeah. Like, they're happy. They have fun. They have sex often. Like, they're good. Like, that's a good relationship. And so I would speak to her. I probably had about three big conversations with her. And she's also very smart and emotionally intelligent. Um, But we did, we made a decision of we're not talking to people about it. We're not getting outside opinions on it unless it's a professional. And, you know, I just, for me, I see so many people giving relationship advice and I'm like, are you in a good relationship? (laughs) Have you like, Mm -hmm. or that, you know, a lot of people, they'll jump into a relationship and I don't talk about my current relationship a whole lot. Um, We've been together for two years, but I'm very much in the mindset of I'm not giving relationship advice when we've only been together for two years. Like if we can go, you know, and we've had a lot of ups and downs and it's been rough being together, like, you know, it wasn't an easy um, person to get with. He was friends with my ex and my ex is like, he loves us together. He's happy about it. But 
it was controversial. I don't talk about it because I don't want to give advice to people when I'm in the honeymoon phase. Mm. And so I'm like, you know, you see people in a new relationship giving advice and you're like, well, it's easy right now because, you know, they haven't seen you're crazy. Like they haven't seen yeah. you at your worst. Like you haven't been through that many challenges. You're still kind of doing the whole like, you know, you know, when you were in a new relationship, I don't know if this is me, but you're like, you're really like, you know, every day you're in your cutest outfit and you're like, you're doing your hair like all the time. Whereas I'm like, okay, now like I'll do my hair on weekends and he's like, <laughs> he's the makeup free and the pimples and he sees me emotional and going through hard times. And I'm like, this is the real stuff. That's when you That's can the real advice. stuff. If it's, yeah. Like if it's good still at the point where he's seeing all of you, mm. then you can start to give advice. And I was kind of like, I don't know many people. Yeah. Where I'm, I would love to have that relationship. And I yeah. do now I've got a lot of friends who have incredible relationships, but at the time, there was no one I was close enough to that I would want to confide in that and get advice from them. So, yeah, we made it consciously together. Um, let's just work on this together, not knowing yeah. what the outcome would be, you know? Yeah. I've, I mean, I think it's great that you you were able to do that because it kind of does provide that little container for you guys to work out what was going on for you guys and then, and then yeah. you let everyone know afterwards. So let's talk about love languages because you spoke <laughs> about that earlier. And obviously, so words of affirmation are yours. So guys that are listening, just in case you don't know what the five love languages are, it was created by Dr. Gary Chapman. And the five love languages are physical touch, quality time, words of affirmation, receiving gifts and acts of service. So how did this play a part for you guys in the whole process? Did, is that something that yeah. you were looking we at? Did actually, we did work on that. So my, my actually predominant love language is physical touch. Um, and Hugh's love language is not touch. He's like, let's not do PDA. Like, do we need to be holding hands all the time? Like, he's not the type to like touch your leg. <laughs> like, like maybe sometimes, but he's not like, it's not his instinct. And we actually did a thing where I was like, I need you. One of our coaches said, um, you know, like touch her, not sexually, but like touch her lovingly. Um, like 11 times a day or something. And he just, he couldn't do it. He was like, this is hard. And his love language was acts of service. And so what he would do is he'd like clean the house or like go get the groceries or pick up the kids. And I'd be like, that's doing nothing for me. Like, I'm like <laughs> and tell me that you love me. Whereas that wasn't really his vibe. So we did, we did work on that and we did try. Yeah. Um, but it was, yeah, it's, I, I don't really know. I'm definitely not an expert here and I'm not going to pretend to be, but I kind of feel like, you know, and moving forward into my relationship now, I was like, we need to do the quiz and here and you here. So it was good, but we needed to make sure like, are we compatible? Because if yours are like gifts and acts of service, uh, gifts and sorry, gifts and quality time are like my two lowest. I'm like, I don't need to see you that often. Just when I do see you touch me and tell me you love me. Um, you know, like I wanted to make sure that it kind of aligned in a way. Um, yeah. And I don't know if you've got completely opposite, if it'll work, maybe if you're really, really conscious. <laughs> yeah, you just got to be conscious of it all the time to make sure that you're giving giving their love language instead of the way that you would like to receive it, I guess, right? Totally. I love it. So guys, make sure you do the quiz if you haven't already. So obviously with any change or loss, I guess, and, you know, in, in life, it doesn't have to be a breakup, but we go through this process of grief and letting go and you know, some, I mean, I've definitely heard that 
grief is one of the hardest emotions to deal with. It's one of the ones that we, I think, avoid the most because it's so, it feels so painful sometimes at the time. So what did that process look like for you whilst you're going through, even though it was amicable, I'm sure yeah. there were times where, you know, th- there was a lot going on. What did you have to do for yourself to take care of yourself but also allow yourself to heal during that time? Um, look, I think I've been most surprised at how long it's taken. Um, I actually had, I was feeling really resentful towards my ex about maybe three months ago. And we had to have a really big discussion because I was still holding on to grief of, we had this discussion, we had this conversation, right, when we were kind of going through all of it. And I said to him, my ego said to him, I want you to fight for me. Like, I want you to fight for me. Like, I'll do anything to keep you. Like, let's make this work. My ego was like, I need him to fight for me because that's what, like, that's what you should do. Like, I should be that lovable. <laughs> you should do that. And I was like, he didn't do it. And like, for the last two years, I've held on to that. Like, mm. you know, getting kind of angry sometimes and like, like, you didn't want to fight for me. How rude. And even, yeah, like three, four months ago, I had to have a big cry to him and be like, you didn't fight for me and it broke me. Like it really messed with my self-esteem. It really messed with, you know, messed with my ego, obviously. All I wanted was for you to bloody fight for me and you didn't do it. And he's like, I couldn't. He's like, it wouldn't have been authentic. He's like, we knew this was done. We knew it was done. And he's like, if I had fought for you, like where would we be now? Still in a relationship where we didn't feel like it was working. And so grief is going to like, it's going to be ongoing. I still think, you know, when the kids are getting married, there's going to be moments where I'm like, it'd be nice if we were still together for them. Like there'll be, you know, there are always going to be those moments. I'm sure that, you know, if I remarry or if he remarries, there'll be moments of, oh, you know, that was special. We did that together. And now that, you know, that person's doing it with someone else. And so for me, I think understanding it's never going to end, especially a long relationship. Like I said, I grew up with this guy and we still really like each other, but we just, we know that fundamentally I'm like, we're always going to be buddies and we probably always were buddies. We probably never really did like the romance thing. Um, And so knowing that it's just always going to be that and you just have to feel your emotions. And if you're lucky to have someone, you know, if you're lucky that your ex is someone who you can talk to about that, um, then talking to them. And I don't know, I think for me, it was the stories that were going on in my head. I needed to get really clear on what was the actual truth there. So for example, like my story of you didn't fight for me, what's the actual truth? Like more than anything, I look back at that now and I'm like, I'm glad he didn't fight for me because that was such a gift. And he's in an amazing relationship with someone else now. And I'm in an amazing relationship with someone else now. And I'm like, I wouldn't have this if he had done, if he had done what I wanted him to do at the time. So it's actually a real freaking blessing more than anything, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's just kind of shifting that perspective. I think t- there's a lot going on when you're going through that process, obviously. Totally. And you, yeah, the, obviously that element of heartbreak. And even if, even if you know logically that this is the right thing to do, mm-hmm. the heart has a different, has a whole different thing. And then again, like with your ego, that's a separate piece altogether. So it's kind of really nice to hear that you were able to separate. I I think to people listening, talk a little bit about the stories because I don't know if everyone sort of really is aware of 
the stories that you tell yourself and them being separate to you and yeah. how that can affect you, yeah. Totally. And I think the thing is we can often romanticise what could have been. And, so much. You know, oh, what if we could have figured this out? What if we, you know, did this? What if we did that? And instead of communicating with someone and finding out what's the truth and what's the story, you know, just living in that space. And it's, I think it's like this with people in relationships now. Like I have a couple of friends who are younger than me and they're single and they're like, you know, in that, in that phase. And I'm, I'm very much like, if he's not calling, if he's not like early for the date, if he's not telling you, he likes you like, bye, what are you doing? Mm, Yeah. (laughs) And, and I think that my friends, like their stories are, oh, well, he's, he's got this going on or, you know, maybe he's nervous or maybe he's this or maybe it's that. And they're telling themselves these stories of why someone isn't acting the way they want them to act. And I, I just love it. I'm like, there's a meme or like a quote that's out and it's like, if he wanted to, he would. And if he was going to, he he would. Like He would have, yeah. He would have, yeah. If he was going yeah. to, he would have. And if he wanted to, he would. Like, you know. Um, and I think it's really the same in your ex-relationships. It's you've really got to separate what's the story and what's the fact. What part of this am I telling myself because... Um, it feeds or it serves another part of me. So the part of me that said, why didn't you fight for me? That was serving my ego. That was serving my, well, I was such a good wife. I did such a good job. Like we were really good friends. Why wouldn't you fight for me? I'm freaking amazing. Like I wanted to be validated by him like fighting Mm. for me. But the truth was he saw, just like I saw, we like we had done what we were meant to do together. We had finished our universal contract together. We had created beautiful babies. We had helped each other to grow through some really, really challenging times in life. And it was time to move on and find a different level of happiness. Mm. And like, you just, I think in those moments as well, you really have to have faith. Cause I remember, especially when he moved out, there was like a three month period where I lived alone. I had the kids half the time and it was like, what the hell have I done? <laughs> like, what, yeah. what have I done? Like, I'm lonely. Um, you know, I like, I don't want to online date. Like I said, I'm just going to spend time on myself. Like, I'm not going to do the whole, like, I'm not doing that yet. I'll look into it later. You know, I had friends setting me up with people and I'm like, this is weird. And then, but every yeah. night I'd go home alone and I'd be like, is it better off to have someone than to be in this space of uncertainty that I, what if I never find anyone? You know, like, what if, what if I'm alone forever? What if the guy that gives me the passion and, you know, loves me and we adore each other, what if that never comes? And so then I'd start the stories, which, which aren't fact of, well, maybe we could have tried this, or maybe we should have done that. Or maybe, maybe it's better to just be in a mediocre relationship than a phenomenal one. And so, but that's not the truth. None of that is the truth. It was just fear. It was all fear. Yeah, all those fear stories. And I think it's the same with, so those fear stories when you're coming out, but also when you're getting into a new relationship, you touched on there, kind of romanticizing or almost being in love with the idea of what the relationship could be rather than what the reality is actually showing you. So it's, yeah, it's important to be aware of those thoughts, I guess, and just being able to separate yourself from them. So I know that I've heard you talk about that your, your parents are also divorced or separated and I'm, I'm interested to know how do you think 
your experience as a child of divorced parents has impacted your own beliefs around marriage and divorce? Yeah, I think um, one thing that when I was a child, which I really appreciate, is my parents never spoke poorly of each other, ever. Yeah. Um, and I think that that can be the most detrimental thing to a, a, any child. Because if mum, like as a young girl, your dad is your hero, you know, he's he's the example of what a man should be. Like as a young girl, that's a really important role model to have around men. Um, and whether they were conscious or unconscious about it, I don't know. Um, but they never spoke poorly about each other um, because I have seen the impact that, you know, a parent speaking to their child or even just sharing when the child is within earshot, something mm. negative about that child's mum or dad can totally mess them up. Mm-hmm. Whether you're on the phone to someone telling a story about your asshole ex or how their mums are, you know, a hussy who's sleeping with all these people. Like your kids hear a lot, like they're listening, whether they're in the next room or in the car behind you or you're saying it directly to them, they're picking up on a lot. So I think the best thing my parents did is they never bagged each other out. Um, And their divorce as an adult, I now understand it was hard. Um, I understand why they broke up. I understand why both of them did what they did. I can see that there were areas where needs weren't being met. I can see that there were areas where expectations were incredibly high and, you know, and like I can see why they didn't last. Um, But (laughs) they were so kind about each other. They were so conscious about, you know, we're going to do, we're going to do things for the kids. We're going to be kind to each other. We're going to be nice about each other's partners, all of the bits and pieces. Um, And so for me, it was a really positive example of what, divorce can be. But the other thing is I saw my mom um, probably a year after her and my dad separated. Um, she got into a relationship with someone who still to this day adores her. Like he just thinks she, you know, I think it's been like 20 years that they've been together now. Wow. He just thinks she is the best thing in the world. He just the way he looks at her, the way, like the, what he does for her, how he talks about her. And so I think my um, experience was you really can find, like if it's not the first time, you really can find everything that you were looking for the second time round. You know what I mean? That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. That's so amazing to be able to have that as well. And I think too, I mean, I feel like that's not something that we commonly see either, to be honest. No. Like that's such a good, great thing to have, you know, for yeah. you as a as a point of reference, I guess. Um, well, it gives you faith as well. Like I think I feel yeah. like you need to find those stories so you have faith that it can happen. Like if you're divorced now and you're worried about not being able to find someone, I feel like you need to search for examples of where it's happened so that you're like yes that is completely possible like I just grew up with the idea that divorce can be amicable and finding your one after the one is so possible and really amazing do you know what I mean yeah yeah that's so true you've got to search for it too I think and then when you know that it's possible it's so much like you said so much easier to have that faith that it's possible for you yeah. There's this uh, standardised, I, I would say like a, a cultural normal narrative at least that we I think have been very much exposed to as a society that marriage should last forever and that if your marriage doesn't last, it, it means it wasn't a successful marriage. Um, so 
What is your take on that? (laughs) Um, My take is... Hugh and I had an incredibly successful marriage um, and it successfully ended. Like, so, I mean, there's so many sides to this. Like if you look at when marriage became a thing, it was like a trade agreement. Like it was like, have my daughter and take 60 of my sheep. Like it, yeah. was, <laughs> it, it wasn't like super romantic, right? Like it was mm. kind of like, she will bear you children. She is beautiful and genetic. Like it wasn't created from, wow, like, you know, there's love and let's be together forever. Um, and so I think our conditioning around marriage is for you marry someone, you stay married forever. It means that you're in love. I feel like that, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know where it came from because yeah, it was a trade agreement. Um, and the other thing is, I think that for whatever reason, we've been taught that a long marriage is a successful marriage, but I don't know about you. I know a lot of people who have been married for a long time and they're not in a very successful way, like they're not happy or, you know, they're grumpy or they're not fulfilled or, you know, like the comment I said, I have, you know, I know someone who's like, oh, you know, it's his birthday, I have to have sex with him. Like things like that. I'm like, I wouldn't want to be in a marriage like that personally. Um, But we all make our own choices. We make our decisions on how we want our life to go and what we want to create. But I think that, if you can understand, and this was probably one thing that was unique with Hugh and I, um, we listened to a lot of podcasts and we used to, whenever we would drive, we would go on road trips and we'd listen to podcasts or um, e- uh, audio books together. And I remember listening to one audio book uh, by, I'm going to forget his name. Um, he, he creates a, he's got a podcast called Rewild Yourself. Um, I don't know that one. Yeah, I'll look it up. You can, yeah. yeah, look it up. Um, rewild yourself. Anyway, he spoke about how it's not natural for humans to be monogamous. And I was like, and, you know, we didn't follow that. We weren't like, okay, let's not do monogamy. But it got us going in the conversation of, do you think we're meant to be together for 60, 70, 80 years? We got together very young. And, uh, you know, we would have discussions around, Um, you know, like that's a long time and people change. And what if we change and go in different directions or what if our passions take us somewhere else? Like, I don't know the answer to it, but we would have these discussions about it, um, which I think is really healthy. I think it's healthy to have discussions about, you know, what happens if one day I am not physically attracted to you? What happens if one day I don't feel desire for you? And our answer was always, we work on it we do our best to, you know, fix whatever's not working and we're always progressing. We're always growing as people. Um, I think, I think it was Robin Sharma who said it. You're lucky if you find two to three soulmates in your life. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yes, yeah. yeah. I feel really lucky. I've, I had my one, I had my soulmate in Hugh and I still think we have a soul contract together and it's not over but the marriage part was over. Um, I'm now with another soulmate and I'm like, right, after two years, I can very happily say that man is my soulmate as well. And I just, someone came up with this idea that you get one soulmate and if you mess it up with them, then you're like, you're no good and you can't figure it out. And it's not true. Like who made those rules? And so we always get to create our own rules. Um, And my rule is you get a couple and you don't get to decide on what it's going to look like or how it's going to be, but you do your best to make it good and you have to work at relationships and you really like 
you have to work hard at relationships and I'll work hard at every relationship I'm in. Um, but success isn't being together forever. Success isn't, you know, being 80 years old, sitting on a porch, holding hands. Success is, did I feel like I was living my life in every moment? Did I feel fulfilled? Did I feel like this was someone who I wanted to love and I felt loved by? Mm. The answer is yes. And that's successful to me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I really like that too. And I think it's important to investigate, I think, those kinds of narratives that we have been taught. I mean, and if it if that's your jam and you want to do that, then awesome. But also if that's not to look into it and create rules for yourself that work for you and your life, right? So what would be your advice to anyone listening who might be considering breaking up with their long-term or significant partner, but they want to do it in a conscious way, you know, as, as amicable as they can make it? Yeah. I want to be really conscious here, but, um, or cautious because I definitely don't advocate separating, uncoupling, breaking up any of the things. I'm not, um, I'm not like here to be like, it can be done. I'm just here to be like, if it is right, it can be done well. Um, Mm -hmm. my first tip is, and what Hugh and I did is give yourself a a timeline of, you know what, we're going to work on it for a year. For a year, we're going to have discussions, really open discussions. We're going to be conscious around it. If we can't do it resourcefully. We're going to get a third party in to support us through that. So obviously if, you know, you're with a partner who, you know, starts to blame, shame and justify, starts to yell, accuse you of things, call you names, that's when you're like, okay, I need to get someone else in to to kind of mediate this conversation. Um, But, you know, with you and I, we sat down and we said, you know what, no matter what happens here, no matter if, if, if I say something to hurt you, if you say something to hurt me, um, you know, we apologize. We don't aim call. We don't justify bad behavior. Um, we don't blame the other person. We understand that this is a group, th- th- like we're doing this together. This is a group effort. Um, and I think that that's really helpful is the first conversation needs to be, these are the standards of our communication. These are the standards of how we're going to talk to each other. These are things that I won't tolerate. If the conversation gets to a point where, there is name calling where there is blame, any of those things, then I am going to be resourceful enough to step away and say, we're not having this conversation until we both calm down. And that was one of the things, like if we were fighting, we would go to our corners. Like we immediately would be like, this isn't working. Fighting is an indulgent behavior where we think that we're right. So we just want to be louder and louder, but we're not coming from a a part of our mind where we can really understand what's happening. So it's like, no, if we get to that point, we step away. But the first thing is, make a decision on a timeline and make it a significant one. I would say a year. So from the first conversation, we got 12 months to figure this out. We got 12 months of really working at it. And whether your partner decides to do the work or not, you play full out. Your partner doesn't show up, doesn't want to do it. You still play full out in where am I responsible? How can I grow as a person to help this relationship thrive. And if that person's not willing to do the work, at least, you know, you were, and you did the best you could. Yeah. You know, my, um, my boyfriend at the moment, he always says, you know what? I I always wanted to be able to look my kids in the eye and say, I did the best I could. I did everything I can. I tried really hard. You know, we saw experts, we did this, we did that. He's like, I always wanted to say to my kids, I did everything I could. Um, and so you just want to, you can't control what your partner does. You can hope. Um, but you can control how you act and just be the example. Don't be the expert. Don't try and tell them how it should be. Just be the example with your behavior. 
Um, but give it a year and speak to experts mm, would be my tip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's I think it's important to give yourself the time, especially when it's such a long relationship, to kind of work through the things I that kind it. of come up for you. You've talked about this idea that despite being more connected than ever through social media, we are actually living in a really disconnected society and people are feeling really lonely, unhappy, unfulfilled. Can you speak to that idea? Because this kind of really fascinates me, this whole social media world that we live in at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like some people use social media really well and some people use it really poorly. (laughs) And Mm. I take it back to I remember when I was like, 12 and I had my first boyfriend and we would get on MSN Messenger. (laughs) Yeah, I do. (laughs) I'm like, I don't know if you're old enough to know what that is. Yeah, I'm in my 30s. I know. We're both here. So we get on MSN Messenger and we would talk for hours. We would chat, we would connect and talk about all the things that were important to us and we would go to a party or a school social and not say a word to each other. And like, oh, like, oh, like, do we hold hands? And then like we'd message after and he'd be like, I really wanted to hold your hand, but I was nervous. I'm like, oh my God, I really wanted to talk to you, but I couldn't. Like, it was so lame. But I feel like that started this whole comfort of who am I on this side of the screen versus who am I in real life? Like, I know I felt that for me of like, I can be a completely different person online than I am in real life. Like we've almost trained that way. And so I feel like social media has given a lot of people the opportunity to be, you know, a lot of good things, to speak up about what they're passionate about, to be, um, you know, to talk about their causes, to share what they're learning. But I feel like there needs to be a healthy balance where we can do that but you still got to keep connecting with people in real life. You still got to be able to go and whatever you're saying online, say it in person as well. And I feel like there's a bit of a disconnect because this screen is almost like a, like an armor for us where it's like, well, I can't really get hurt from there. But the problem is you can because words hurt. And, you know, I've been bullied on reels before and I've, you know, I've had, a couple of people be haters like because I made a joke and they took it seriously <laughs> or like they didn't mm. like it or I offended people or whatever happened and so you know like I've had people tell me to kill myself and commit suicide oh my on, gosh on comments and I'm like are you real and so the thing is people can be this big strong person online but I'm sure if I saw any of those people in real life they'd be like oh my gosh I'm so sorry And the problem is they disconnect me from being a human because I'm a picture on a screen. Yes. And so I think that they're, like I said, there are really great aspects to social media where people are like, I probably wouldn't have met you if it wasn't. I know. (laughs) Right? Yeah. You know, like I wouldn't have met most of the people that I'm really close with now. So it can be really positive. I get very inspired by the people um, on social media, but there are times when people are like, well, this is something that kind of lets me be my alter ego. (laughs) Um, and if that's for good, that's awesome. But if not, it's not. Um, so yeah, while we're connected, you know, we can connect with anyone in the world. We can find anyone, we can message celebrities, like whatever we want to do, we can do all those things. Um, but I do feel like, especially seeing teenagers and kids, 
they are losing the ability to do it in real life as much. Yeah. It, it's, it is kind of sad. And I think like, I guess for us who are a bit older than the teens now, I guess, things that I think we should probably aspire to is to try and align ourselves, our social media selves with who we are in real life. I know it's hard because obviously on social media you have a, it is a one part of you, you know. Yeah, it is a highlight reel. And, you know, some people share a lot more on social media. uh, but, But I guess for that messaging to be, like you said, be able to connect with people in real life as well and still be able to do that, I suppose, rather than just online. Yeah. The other thing that kind of ties into social media is this idea that we live in a really diet and body image obsessed world, right? And I mean, I just saw one of your posts about filters and whatnot. um, (laughs) Good time. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, I'm interested to know, I guess, How have you dealt with that? Has that been a thing for you to kind of look at in yourself and or what should we be focusing on instead? Because it's it's just in our face all the time, I guess, you know, all of this stuff. So, And this is a sad thing. Like it's not going away. It's not going away. And so I think it's up to us to manage, you know, we can't blame we can't blame the people who create it because we're the ones that use it, right? Like yeah. We can't, it, it's, yeah, but it's it's sad. Um, and I feel like the more voices that are out there saying, you know what, like here's how to, here's how to accept yourself for who you are. Here's how to love you for who you are. Now, full transparency, it is very easy for me as a white, blonde, privileged white girl to love myself and have high self-esteem and be confident and I have a very wonderful life and I have more opportunities than a lot of people in the world. Um, It's very easy for me to say that and so I can't speak from everyone's space of where they are right now Um, but I think what we need to focus on is, and for me, I guess I say this because I'm a mum, we need to focus on how we speak about ourselves mm-hmm. internally and externally. I still have body image issues. When I was six years old, my ballet teacher told me to suck in my beer gut and I'm still like, I would never show, like that. you got really good abs. I'm like, I would never show my stomach in a million years because I'm like, it's like my complex now and I'm like, I keep working on it. And there are times when I'm like, Maybe I should just go on a full-on diet and starve myself so that I can try and get abs, but I don't want to do that. Like, I really don't. And you put a filter on, like this morning in that reel, I put that filter on and I was like, I look really beautiful with this filter on. And when I take it off, I don't feel very beautiful anymore. Like, my skin is, Mm. you know, a little bit blotchy and, like, my eyes aren't really that big and my lips aren't really that big. Like, Mm. my skin's not really that tanned and my hair's not really that shiny. Um, and it does, it messes with your confidence. And so I think, I don't know, the more that we can show the real us and celebrate that beauty and celebrate, you know, people's wins and achievement and their inner beauty less than we celebrate how they look. Like, I can't tell you, I'll pop up a post and if I'm in a good outfit, it doesn't matter what I said under the post, I'll get like all these comments. Oh my God, you look so good. You look amazing. I love you. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. And I said really good stuff in the comments. <laughs> like, I'm like, read my words. Yeah, read yeah. Words, right? But, yeah. you know, I don't know why we are the way we are. I think it's just conditioning from the media. But the more of us that can be the example, the better. In saying that, I'm going to use filters. I'm not going to use the ones that, like, give me these big cheekbones and slant my eyes 
to that awful fox eye thing and make my lips the size of balloons and I'm not going to do that. But I'm like, I like making colours look pretty. I'm a Libra. I like (laughs) make it look good. Um, I don't. I don't have the answer. I don't think anyone anyone really does per se. I mean, it's it's just something that we have to deal with. It's like you said. It's it's not to blame social media. It's just how do we manage ourselves around social media? How do we, you know, not take those things too seriously to make ourselves feel bad, I suppose, or or feel negatively about yourself because of those things. So one of the things that I really love to chat to my guests about is failure and rejection because it's something that we all experience in our lives. So I'm really curious to know what is your biggest failure or rejection and what have you learned from it? Oh, oh my gosh, there's so many. There's so many. I've got, I've had a lot of failures, but I'll tell you something that was a really good life lesson early on. Um, I didn't finish school. I dropped out. I didn't finish. I had a math teacher who said to me, you know, you're really pretty. It's lucky you're not smart. <laughs> like I was never good. At oh my gosh. I know. I'm like, really? I'm like, I look back and I'm like, really? Why would you say that to a kid? But anyway, it all, it, it was all perfect, right? Everything is perfect. Everything happens the way it should. Um, and so I really wanted to get into makeups. I, I wanted to get into special effects makeup. I was like, I want to work on movies and make things. And anyway, my mom's like, all right, I'll take you to do a makeup course. So after I left school, um, I went and did this makeup course and I walked into the room and I had to fill out a form and I held the pen and the guy said, what's going on with your hand? And you can't, obviously people listening to this can't see, but my hands shake. I can't hold an object without shaking. I have something called a femoral tremor. I've had it my whole life. It's never going to go away. It's just there. And he said, why is your hand shaking? And I said, oh, my hands always shake. And he's like, yeah, you will never be a makeup artist ever. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Oh, just dropped out of school for this. (laughs) Like, oh, crap. And it was such a good lesson for me because I had this moment, obviously, of like, but wait, I've been dreaming about this. Mm. And I just, I had to pivot. I had to redirect. I was like, all right, that ain't going to work. Like, I can't stop from shaking. I can take medication for the rest of my life, but I'm not going to do that. I have to redirect. And that moment, like right now, I'm like, I don't know, maybe I would have been awesome at makeup. I don't really know, but I'm really happy with where my life went. Mm. And that moment redirected me. I went and did, I went to business college. Mum was like, just go get some sort of education. So if you want to go to uni one day, you can. So I did this business college course. Um, While I was there on my lunch breaks, I would go into, it was in Surfers Paradise on the Gold Coast. I would go and walk around. Um, I walked into a shop one day and there was an older lady working in there and she offered me a job and that shop was owned by Hugh. And it took my life down this complete different trajectory than if I had gone the original path. And out of that, like out of that one, that redirection there where he's like, you will never do makeup. And I was like, well, crap, what am I going to do? Okay, got to go get some sort of education. Okay, you're going to go there. Okay, you're going to walk around and go to these shops and this lady is going to give you a job and that lady is going to become your mother-in-law in like, you know, eight years. And it like, it was all perfect. And so... I've had a lot of failures. (laughs) I've had a lot of failures. I've been rejected a lot. When I was young, I wanted to model. I was told I was too too chubby, too short. I'm five foot seven. Um, I've had a lot, like plenty of them in my entire life. But I guess the thing is, 
And the reason I don't really have any from more recently to share is not because I don't have them, but because I don't see anything as a failure or rejection. I see it as a redirection. And you're always on the path that was made for you. You're always going exactly where you should be going. And if you just trust it, and go, you know what, that's interesting that that didn't work out. I wonder what's coming that's better for me. Everything that I've been rejected from, every failure has turned into something incredible. Like it's kind of a bit over the top, but I'm like, well, if I didn't get rejected from makeup school, I never would have met Hugh. I wouldn't have my kids. I wouldn't be doing the work I'm doing. Like I wouldn't have this life that I really love. So it's, it's all working out. <laughs> yeah. It's so nice to hear. And I, most of my guests have a very similar thing where it's like, whatever kind of doesn't work out leads them down this path where it, mm-hmm. it actually is, you know, perfect and exactly how it's meant to be, which is so nice to yeah. hear. Yeah. So my final question for you is, if you had an overarching statement to which you try to live your life by, what would that be? Gratitude makes everything enough. I think that would be it. Gratitude makes everything enough because if you focus on what you do have, you do attract more of it in. Mm. You really do. If you focus on what you don't have, (laughs) you won't have very much. So yeah, gratitude turns everything into enough. Everything we have into enough. (laughs) Amazing. I love that. That perspective of gratitude, I think is just such a great philosophy to take through with life. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. It's been so amazing to chat to you. Yeah, it's a real testament to you and your skills. I feel like this was fun. I got to speak about stuff I never really get to speak about. So thank you for being awesome and going deep and not just doing the surface level podcast stuff, but like let's talk real stuff. I love that. Real stuff. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So where can people find you and where can they get hold of all your work with the Gratitude Gang and the Health Hub and all of that kind of stuff? Definitely Instagram. Just either search gratitude underscore project or just search my name, Anne Simpson, without a P, um, S-I-M-S-O-N. Most people get it wrong. Um, Or (laughs) my website, just Google the Gratitude Project and it'll be the first thing to come up there. Yeah, amazing. So make sure you check out Ange, guys. Thank you again, lovely, for chatting with me on the show. And thank you guys for listening. Make sure you screenshot this episode and share it to your IG stories. Make sure you tag at The Gratitude Project and at Rage Active. And we'll catch you next time on The Rage Active Podcast.